You're listening to the Leaders of Consulting podcast, a show that brings you interviews and expertise with today's leading consultants. This show is brought to you by Spotlight Podcasting, an agency that helps B2B professional service firms launch and produce podcasts, providing support for both strategy and execution. If you want to find out more, you can head on over to spotlightpodcasting.com. So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting. Today I'm here with Matthew Eisner. Matthew has built companies from launch to exit. He's consulted some of the world's largest brands on their technology programs and startup programs. And he's also advised multiple startups on their way to becoming unicorns and invested in dozens of seed stage companies. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. He's spent the last past five years uh, predominantly in consulting, both independently, as well as for a variety of boutique size firms. And personally, I know Matt through tech circles uh, when I used to help run IBM Software's startup program in London. And so Matt, it's uh, great to have you on the show. Thanks very much. Great to be on. Absolutely. So Matt, why don't you kick us off with one unique approach, tip, tool, or strategy that you think other consultants should really know about and probably don't? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's one that other consultants necessarily don't know about, but something that I find just sort of often slips through the cracks in a lot of project deliveries is, I mean, just having a very, very robust early planning phase, uh, especially when there's a lot of technological complexity with a project. Um, I find that often the ones that end up with lackluster deliveries are often the ones that kind of don't get fully fleshed out at the planning stage and kind of some important details are left for later on down the line. And then things need to be changed and reworked that have already happened. And then projects come under strain. Um, So for me, a successful consulting project usually starts at that kind of initial planning phase and the more detail that's, that's kind of done there uh, generally the better. Mm. And so that makes me wonder, like, how do you approach things when you're brought in mid-project? Do you find that more challenging or is it or is it just par for the course? It's definitely more challenging in some ways in that, I mean, oftentimes the motivation behind that is sort of cleaning up a bit of a mess. Yeah. Um, that being said, there's usually a little bit less pressure because you're not the one who created the mess. Um, whereas if you're running that project end to end and it gets to that phase, um, then you're looking to be be have someone brought in over you. So I'd say it's a, it's a very different perspective from the person being brought in versus the the one who needs someone else brought in. That being said, I mean, I think a, a well-planned project can also start to devolve a little bit and, and whether that's knowing when to go and build out or outsource more resource or bring in more internal resource for a project um, or to simply go back to, to kind of management and whether it's because there was something unrealistic or unknown in scope that came up or whether it's because just the delivery process was too difficult or requirements kept changing. Um, as long as there's some very, very clear communication around that, then hopefully it can be used as actually a catalyst to move forward and figure out kind of a solution that does work as opposed to um, be something that leads to the devolution of the project. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And can you tell us about a, a resource? Uh, it could be a book, article, podcast, or anything else that comes to mind that's had a big impact on you, either professionally or personally. Mm-hmm. I'd say that it's maybe a little bit cheesy, but Angel List, frankly, is probably oh, the, yeah. the single biggest resource for me in terms of my career. 
in terms of both finding probably around three full-time employment roles um, and kind of earlier in my career, as well as probably four or five consulting projects and one or two companies I've invested in. Um, so something where it's always kind of the first place that I point people to if they're looking for jobs in earlier stage kind of tech startups, which is one of the areas I enjoy consulting more. Um, if you're looking on kind of a, a later end of the the spectrum of, of kind of size of consultancy and something maybe a little bit larger, I mean, I think there's there's some pretty typical resources that that most of those consultants would point to. But, but yeah, interesting. In AngelList, I hadn't heard that one for some time. And do you find with AngelList that it's more useful in certain locations rather than others? Do you find it's more used or more? Definitely. I mean, it's, its initial usefulness was really pretty localized to San Francisco yeah. back in kind of when it was first around. But that being said, actually, maybe a year or two after I first started using it, I got a job on it in London. Um, so I'd say it is still relatively Western centric and very English language centric. But that being said, I do think it's getting a little bit better on some of those fronts. And there are similar sort of spin off sites that are more geared toward. Uh, like Chinese language market or other language markets that I think will be more common. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, how about someone who's uh, had a significant influence on your life? Is there anyone who comes to mind for you? Um, and all honesty, probably my dad. I was lucky enough to get to watch him run some pretty interesting companies when I was a kid and the way that he managed and took care of and was thoughtful about his employees um, some of the business strategies that he had that were very kind of early in kind of using and aggregating data. Um, so I was very lucky to be able to watch that and sort of learn through osmosis in the process. Someone outside of my family, if you want, I would say maybe is more of a, it's a tricky one because there's always kind of the, the know your heroes element and kind of the reality of some of these kind of moguls. But I'd say maybe Richard Branson. I met him actually once very, very briefly, but was at one of his properties and he must have spent twice as long with every employee at his property than with the guests, which I thought was a very telling sort of approach to managing diverse organizations. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And switching gears a little bit, let's dive into a little bit more around, you know, the work that you do and the expertise you provide. So first off, can you tell me who is your ideal client? What characteristics do they share? Mm-hmm. So I say, I mean, it it can also depend a lot in that question based off of who I'm sort of working for. Um, for me personally, in my own kind of consultancy, I prefer kind of rapid growth scale ups that have a lot of problems that just need to be solved because um, I find that usually they're pretty clear cut opportunities to deliver very real value um, and things that um, I personally enjoy the the move fast and break things startup culture, but the idea that hopefully I can bring to the table a little bit less having to break things um, by by kind of my experience and knowledge of things that work in that space. Um, I mean, for later stage companies and what that would look like for for kind of the big tech consulting that I've I've done, really, it's a sincere buy into the technology and then kind of the fact that a lot of those larger enterprise consulting projects are often. S- often more of a, a kind of foray and an experiment than they are a sincere business strategy. Um, so I, I guess it's and for those ones, it's the ones where a innovative technical solution is actually 
key to their strategy and they buy into that. Um, and across the board, I mean, I'd say that's pretty similar as well, even for the smaller ones, but it again, it comes down to more buy-in there. And with those smaller ones, they usually buy in pretty quickly because they need people to solve their problems. Yeah. And and what's a, what's a typical challenge that some of the, those ideal clients of yours face and how do you go about solving it? Say the most problem, the most common problem that I'm sort of solving is how to collect and use data. Um, so whether that's kind of from like a business intelligence and analytics standpoint and just being able to report on basic operations of a business um, or whether it's more from an application standpoint of either building products that use the data or using that data for improving customer experience. Um, it's really kind of a, a pretty wide approach, but to me comes from the idea of um, kind of a microeconomics slash behavioral economics, psychology, marketing, and kind of technology and sort of tying those all together. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And a lot of so the problems that a lot of them are seeing is we don't know where our most valuable users are coming from. We can't replicate our most successful kind of sales. Um, our team has to do a lot of manual repetitive process when we're dealing with customers um, or we just want to understand our business better and make better strategic decisions. Yeah, right. And are there any misconceptions or mistakes that you often find people running into time and time again when you're helping them try to solve that problem? I think there's, uh, there are, and I think the, the problem is that there's all sort of two ends of a spectrum because you can kind of either go too far one way or another, and it's a bit of a, a balancing act in early stage startups. That is, do we lay out a bunch of money and resource to create really robust data architecture and, and application, or do we hold off on doing that until we know exactly what it is that we need to build, but have a much more complicated technical delivery to to provide that and um, lose out on the use of that infrastructure until we build it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'd say that it, it's pretty wide that I'd say probably 40% fall on one end, 40% fall on the other, and 20% probably walk the tightrope pretty well. <laughs> Fair enough. And what's an initial action or approach that people in that situation could use that would be more of a step in the right direction? Um, I, I'd say the the biggest one for me that a lot of companies will probably be doing, but uh, um, it's surprising to me how many A round and B round startups with major VC backing in Europe don't, where I'd say 90% of seed companies in San Francisco are, is just a basic kind of month over month benchmark of what are the different activities and um, growth metrics that we see on our platform, just to have that kind of monthly benchmark health check to see, did we see a huge tanking in users last month, or did we see a big spike? And was there maybe a correlation in that too? We saw a bunch of spike in our email open rates, or we had a really viral Facebook post or things like that to at least start to see where there's relationships and correlation that maybe you would want to build out some deeper functionality to to run some some more robust analysis. Yeah, gotcha. Benchmarks and correlation. Fantastic. So um, finally, as we wrap up here, can you tell listeners where they can find out more about you and how they can connect with you online? Definitely. So my website is mattisn.com. 
Um, also, my business website is Vang Capital on Vang Advisory, V A N G advisory.com and then vang.capital um, most of my handles are matt m-a-t-t-e-i-s-n like my my website um, but would probably that website will probably link you out to, to most of the other places you'd want to find as well and i'm on most social networks you could you could want excellent all all the platforms great matt so thank you so much for your time appreciate you coming on and uh thanks for sharing your insights with us today definitely much appreciated Cheers. Hey, Jonathan Bailey Strong here, host of the show. Thanks for tuning in. And if you want to get in touch, feel free to hit me up on social media. If you just search for my username, John B. Strong on Twitter. And actually, you can search for the same thing on LinkedIn. Uh, You'll find my profile there as well. I'd love to connect and hear your feedback.